0: the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: So things are kind of messy here. We've all kind of sort of moved recently, and we're trying to get our collective acts together. Cope with late summer heat, which always is horrendous. We need another visit from something, like a visit from ET to straighten us out because we are sure in a messy situation, aren't we? So what have you been up to in recent weeks that our listeners want to know about?
2: Well, we're you know, again, the San Luis Valley uh, Camera Project is, you know, I mean, it's been a really frustrating process uh, over the years, but we finally did a conference call with our ISP guy, and we have a um, retired teacher and scientist in Crestone, who's up about 400 feet off the valley floor and has a real good line of sight with our, our um, tower. So we, Ken Swinehart, the ISP, uh, the owner of Amiga Nets, uh, climbing the tower and going to put up our first camera. And then he's already checked the line of sight configuration uh, for how big of a transceiver dish that he needs to put up on our new uh, location in Crestone's house. We're going to be doing two birds with one stone, basically. We're going to have two cameras up at once in one fell swoop basically we should be looking at being operational here in the next couple of weeks with two cameras not just one so pretty excited about that uh, everybody's on the same page you know we're not having any uh, problems with line of sight like we did uh, in the alamosa location and so we're we're pretty excited this is going to be really nice to uh, to get two cameras up and have them talking to each other on extremely fast internet t2 speeds so this is pretty exciting news other than that like you said, we're dealing with the heat. My new place is very difficult to keep cool. It uh, almost forces me to leave the house. <laughs> I'm also working on a um, follow-up to Stalking the Herd, and I'm also working on a, another book, which is going to be looking at the occult side of ufology and how ritual and occult subjects have been intertwined with uh, ufology for probably thousands of years. And so I'm going to be doing a, uh, a look at that, and I'm also developing a new talk PowerPoint presentation that I'm going to be taking on the road, which will look at this particular subject as well. So I've been keeping busy.
1: The camera project here, I've always been interested in anything that will allow us to monitor paranormal activity. What bothers me very much here is the fact that we have these other projects about UFO detection systems and things like that, and they never go anywhere.
2: It's difficult. It's it's not easy. Hasdalen is the only one that's really been pulled off, but that's only a single camera, so you can't really triangulate uh, data with only one camera, obviously. You need at least a minimum of two. And uh, Mark D'Antonio and Douglas Trumbull's UFO TOG program is dead in the water for some reason. I'm not sure why. Haven't heard hiding or hair of anything from Mark Rodiger and Leslie uh, Kane about the UFO data idea. This I, is I interesting
1: guess. here. You... And I talked to them on the PowerCast I don't know, quite some time ago. And you offered your services. Yeah. And I guess they contacted you once or twice and then... Never, never followed up, yeah. So why does none of this ever get done?
2: It's a variety of reasons. Uh, biting off more than you can chew. Um, obviously, when you're beholden to on people doing you favors instead of paying people to do things, you're at their mercy. My particular project, we, you know, we ran in our first location. We ran into problems because they were they were moving out of the building. Remember, we did have the camera up for six months on top of a building in downtown Alamosa, and they, Amigo, net moved. So we had to take down the camera. In our second location, the the guy kind of flipped out because his kids couldn't download movies. He couldn't get his mail. There was just enough bandwidth to operate the camera and, and pretty much nothing else. So he had to choose between having a camera and no internet for his family and, of course, you know which way he went. The third location, we just could not get around the trees that were blocking the two sight lines that we needed. All the other sightlines lines were, were free and clear, but the two sightlines lines we needed to get to the internet, uh, to the tower, were blocked by trees. And we we'll try as we might. We just could not find a way to work around that except to build a tower out in his yard, and we didn't have the money to do that. Well, now we're on a uh, – we're going – our first camera's going up on a tower that um, is owned by the owner of the ISP in the area. And so we're going to have a direct Ethernet link with – with I, I think whatever is faster than a T2. It's a fiber line, I believe. And, uh, and then we're going to be shooting that signal from that tower. We're going to be about 80 feet up. And it's in the middle of the valley, and we're going to be shooting across to Crestone, and uh, and then talking uh, to a dish on the house of, of our second location that's uh, in the Baca Grande, and then, um, you know, our third location hopefully is going to be the Great Sand Dunes Oasis, which we've been planning on on doing for quite some time. But it's it's really difficult uh, in the valley because of the distances to to have you know real reliable internet for free. <laughs> And since we're working with the ISP guy, we're not gonna have to spend, you know, ungodly amounts of money every month, uh, for, you know, real fast internet connections. So we're really blessed to be working with the one of the local ISPs there. So that's that's really gonna help us out. But boy, I, I'm really excited about today's show. I mean, you know, I am not a fanboy by any stretch of the imagination. There's very few people that I'm fans of and, and Jacques Vallée uh, is definitely one of them. He he is by far I believe to be the most influential and important theorist. Uh, I think in the in the field, uh, besides Ray Stanford, there's no one I respect more. And I'm, I'm really, uh, really just so happy that we're going to have him on and talk about his um, his journals uh, and the new three book set that he's got out. So this is really going to be uh, a lot of fun.
1: We have some very interesting questions from our listeners, focusing less. On those three books, the Forbidden Science books that are being republished by anomalous books, focusing in general on his research. And this is just utterly fascinating, his path to get from there to here. Because when I met him, and I don't know if he remembers that, I'm going to ask him. When I met Jacques, it was 1965, and he was a young man, not as young as I That's right, when his first book came out, Anatomy of a Phenomenon. It was a fairly traditional E.T. sort of UFO book. Yeah, he's come a long way. (laughs) In any case, we're going to cover a lot of things. And the last time we had Jock on the show, we only had an hour with him. Right. So now we have him for the full show. Now, he was on one time previous to that with our prior co host and that show never aired because the first hour disappeared and he didn't want to do it again due to some kind of system glitch. And I have no idea what the system glitch was. Oh, but that's it, was, weird. it was Well, it wasn't rude. It was. It would have been rude to have asked him or expected him. No, it's
2: weird that, you, that it disappeared.
1: Yeah. It w- I never had that happen before or since. Never, never, <laughs> never had to ask.
2: Uh, the old trickster's uh, lurking around.
1: Oh Oop, yes, I better that, not say that. That trickster. I wanna say that with an accent.
2: Yeah, roll your roll your Rs.
1: Roll, yes. Okay. All right. Let's see, what's the secret question? Alright, I'm trying to set up something for the same time as I'm talking to you. Anyway, I want to remind listeners that we've had some really, really excellent episodes of after the power every episode something different something fascinating the only way to hear it is to become a member of power plus go to plus 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 dot the dot com that's plus dot the dot com so for a low subscription rate you get the after the power podcast you get this show almost commercial free no network ads And just as important, neighbors, we give you better quality audio with this special version of the show. And you get some other stuff, too. You know, like we had some of the other side of truth material from Paul Kimball. He will get us some outtakes and special segments of his new haunted TV show. And we're going to have him and his co-host back to explain why he got involved in the reality show game again. Coming up, Jacques Vallée with Jean and Chris. You're in
3: the Paracast.
1: We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. T shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the PowerCast. If you go to store.ThePowercast.com, stop by and take a shopping tour.
4: Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat, I would flip-flop all night long, I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap, even though I slept eight hours. When I invented my pillow, I wanted it to where you can move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed it's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow and I give you a 60-day money back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. And here's my best offer ever. You can buy one of my pillows
0: and get one absolutely free. Go to mypillow.com or call 800-870-0305 and use promo code GCN. That's mypillow.com or 800-870 zero three zero five with promo code GCN
5: water is the single most important thing your body needs so you wanna be sure it's the best for you and your family since two thousand five thousands have depended on Berkey purified water the Berkey guy provides the lowest priced filtration systems in every size for incredibly delicious water now and in an emergency Get to GoBerkey.com or call 877-886-3653, 877-886-3653, GoBerkey.com.
6: Do you trust our economy? How about our banking system? Our president has stated we are sitting on a bubble right now and that when the Fed raises interest rates, bad things are going to happen. Well, the Fed is raising rates here and now. There has never been a better time to turn your IRA or 401k into physical gold or silver with GSI Exchange. Call 833-GSI-GOLD. GSI Exchange can make this happen fast, and it's money you control, not the big banks. 833-GSI-GOLD. Ask about our Bank Failure Survival Guide and learn how your qualified IRA transfer can get you $1,500 in free physical gold or silver delivered right to your home. GSI Exchange has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Call GSI Exchange at 833-GSI-GOLD. That's 833-474-4653. Or visit us on the web at gsi.gold.
0: we'd like to hear from you if you have a comment or question about the Paracast send it to news at theparacast.com that's news at theparacast.com and don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com
1: so before we got connected with Jacques Vallée I tested several ways of talking with him So we tried Skype through his mobile phone, and the reception was spotty. But he has a great landline, and it works fine. So you're a tech guy. Why do we run into stuff like this, Jacques?
7: It's a great question. Uh, I have two landlines because I often do conferences with uh, companies. And, uh, you know, it always works. The uh, Skype is a great idea, and uh, it almost works. It almost worked a couple of times, and now it's kind of going downhill, actually. It, they are overloading it with lots of, quote, features that people enjoy, and they are fun, but it makes the the whole thing less reliable. And, uh, you know, sometimes you don't care. I mean, if you're, you know calling family members and so on, and you don't just want to chat. It's okay if the quality isn't that great. My other problem with Skype is that it's not secure. It has bugs, and people can uh, hack into your profile and heaven knows what else. Another thing I don't like is, uh, a, a, again, a new uh, feature that pops up in a number of those uh, online systems. It wants to grab all your pictures, all your images, all your photographs from, um, from your files to put them in a cloud because they can resell that to advertisers. And but at least Skype asks your permission to do that so you have a chance to say no. There are others that just don't, don't bother to ask. You know, I think there will be um, something of a, um, of a backlash to, to that kind of thing. Uh, privacy is being ignored by all those companies, and I think that's wrong. Uh, speaking as a, you know, as an old timer of the internet, as you know,
8: yeah,
2: that's that's a real problem, and it's going to be con- it's going to continue to be a problem until uh, somebody figures out a way to come up with an encryption protocols that will enable people to to keep you know sensitive uh, information that they have in their computers, uh, you know. <laughs> out of the hands of people who would like to exploit them. Um, That's one of the reasons why I really prefer Mac to uh, PCs, because you tend to have less problems, although it's not foolproof. But um, I've never had a virus, for instance, uh, that I know of, and um, I I feel it's a lot more stable and a lot more secure.
7: the, The reason there are fewer viruses on Mac is that the market is not as big. You know, the corporate market is mostly PCs, and that's what the hackers want to go after. Yeah. So, if they code, uh, you know, a virus mail, they'll code it first for the for the PC market. Yeah. So it's not that there is something magical inside the Mac. Well, it's just it not. Yeah, view. there's not as
2: many of them, so they don't bother making the the, the viruses uh, because they don't. They're not. They're not going to cover as many platforms. Right. Yeah. Well, again, it's good to have you back on the show. Congratulations on the. Uh, on the, uh, the three-book series uh, with Anomalous now, with Patrick Weege, and a uh, great organization over there, um, one of my favorite publishers in, in this particular realm, and uh, they always do a, a real good job. Of course, we have um, Greg Bishop did his Project Beta book there. There's been a number of very good titles uh, that they've uh, come out with in, over the years, and definitely is it's a, a book series that, that I'm looking forward to, to acquiring myself. Um, I often tell people that I'm I'm not much of a fanboy, but when it comes to your work, uh, I am your biggest fan. And if you had a fan club, uh, I probably would elect myself president. <laughs> 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 Don't want to make you feel old, but my my one of my first UFO books I ever read was back when I was nine or ten years old, and it was uh, the book that you did with your wife, Anatomy of a Phenomenon. And ever since then, I devoured every everything that you've uh, you put out in uh you know passport of magonia uh messengers of deception dimensions revelations these are these are my very very favorite books i've ever read about these subjects and it's really good to see you out and about again i was it was a an incredible pleasure and an honor to meet you a couple years ago a uh, year and a half ago at the ufo congress and i'm really glad to see that um that you've decided to kind of poke your head up a little bit uh here and, uh, and uh, you know, anything that we can do here at the Paracast to help out, believe me, you don't hesitate to ask.
7: Thank you. You know, Forbidden Science uh, was is a, uh, a diary, and um, it's a little bit harder for people to get into, you know, reading a diary because you have to read it in a certain way. It's archival work. It's not, you know, uh, a single topic topic. Uh, you know, wow kind of book that uh, takes you from page one to page 200 or whatever. And this is, um, I started that because there were just so many things happening and I wanted to keep a record. And I thought that that record would be important for people who came, you know, after me into the field so that they could, because the the story gets rewritten by whoever is uh, prominent at the time. So the skeptics are rewriting history. The, you know, um, uh, the people interested in abductions are rewriting the history, but the the phenomenon is a, is a totality. It's a whole. And uh, we have to learn from our mistakes and, Also, there are things in the past that are still true. You know, surprise, surprise. We were just talking about Skype. Well, Skype works uh, on a packet-switching network, and packet-switching was invented in 1965. And everybody has forgotten that because, um, you know, new firms like uh, Google and Facebook and so on are doing their own marketing as if they had invented all that stuff. But underneath, uh, you know, you still have the old reality. It's the same thing for UFOs. I didn't have the intention of publishing it, and I... Eventually, published a um, a hardcover edition that was kind of confidential, and it you know surprisingly it sold pretty well because there were researchers wanting to have that record, if only so that could they could add to it or uh, manage it according to their own reminiscences and, and researches. But then you know about six months ago, I was in in Latin America, and I discovered that people had those books on their cell phones because people have been scanning them and putting them on the Internet. So I thought I might as well do an you know, edited version and publish it myself at a, at a lower price. So that's what uh, Anomalist has done. And there there is an e-book version that's coming out as well. No oh, very and good. Those cover essentially three decades. uh, And Volume 3, which is a newer one, covers starting in 1980. So it covers a lot of really important stuff, um, you know, that, um, you know, including A transition of generations, you know, when Dr. Hynek died, of course, and um, a number of the old um, research organizations uh, changed leadership or or disappeared. A lot of data started to come out also in the 80s. And of course, that's a time when people became really interested in abductions and uh, all kinds of new things in the field.
1: We'll continue with Jacques Filet in our next segment with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast.
9: You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
4: Did you know children are 52 times more likely to suffer from identity theft than adults? Credit alerts will not fix the fallout. Liberty ID does. And here's an exciting offer just for you. Go to LibertyID.com and cover your entire family, your spouse, your children, and your parents for only $129 a year. Use promo code FREETRIAL and we'll give you the first 60 days free. That's LibertyID.com promo code FREETRIAL. LibertyID.com.
3: LibertyID.com.
11: back pain doesn't take vacations it never celebrates holidays it's on the job 24 7 to keep your life exactly where it is in limbo but it doesn't have to be that way because laser spine institute can help you take back your life from chronic neck and back pain with a less than one inch incision our minimally invasive procedures have provided relief to over 60,000 patients with a 97 percent patient satisfaction rate so get ready to stand tall and live the life you've imagined for yourself without pain are you or a loved one suffering from a bulging disc herniated disc spinal stenosis pinched nerve or degenerative disc disease call our spine care consultants now at eight five 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 one zero back for a no-cost mri review and to learn more it's time to say goodbye to chronic neck and back pain call eight five 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 one zero back to see if laser spine surgery is right for you that's eight five 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 one zero back what have you got to lose laser spine institute the leader in minimally invasive spine surgery
12: i author
1: of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Pericast. So Jacques Vallée has been at this game for many, many years. I don't think, Jacques, that you even remember. But I was a kid, such as kids are. I was 20. And I met up with a few friends of mine in... Chicago with Jim Mosley, and we visited yes. you at a hotel. Do you remember? Yes.
7: I do remember, and I think I made a note somewhere in my diaries. Because what surprised me was that the Jim Mosley, you know, was uh, was Jim Mosley. So he had a tape recorder that was hidden somewhere, and we we noticed the tape recorder. So after that, the conversation became a little bit more careful. Uh, he, was, he was a little bit sneaky, which was one of his
1: amusing features. It surprises me because I don't remember Jim having a tape recorder. It may have been somebody else's because Jim never had a tape recorder. But I know that we did have a tape recorder because after we visited you, the next day, I think we went up to see Ray Palmer. Yes. And we had a tape recorder for that, or, you know, obviously a reel-to-reel. And I interviewed him for radio, one of my early radio interviews. So I think any recording would have been one of the other guys, probably Alan Greenfield. I'm going to have to ring him up and see. But I don't think you said anything really bad there. But this was when you were out there promoting your first book, Anatomy of a Phenomenon.
7: So there was, around that time, there was the Fate magazine organized a uh, commemoration of... The Kenneth Arnold sighting, uh, if you remember, and that's when I, I had a, the, the only chance I had of meeting uh, Ray Palmer, which was quite. He was quite an interesting man. So was Jim Mosley, by the way. I mean, I always enjoyed his writing because he wasn't he wasn't taking anybody seriously, but he wasn't taking himself seriously either, and that was very refreshing. And he had this little magazine that uh, that came out that was always fun to read
1: the thing here i think that jim kind of got a bad rap and it's his own fault okay you know we do things that sometimes aren't really good ideas but Jim did something that really got him a bad rap and that is all the stuff all the crazy things he pulled with gray barker all his little shenanigans and as a result even though he had a really serious interest in the subject, and we talked for hours on what he felt. Because of that, that factor, it made it really difficult for a lot of people to take him seriously. Of course, in the latter years of his life, he had this publication called Saucer Smear, where it was almost like a gossip sheet, except there was always something serious underlying. And I think the face he put to the public at that stage of his life, he didn't want to say, you know, at the heart of this, this is just a cover for the fact that I'm still really, really deep into exploring the subject and seeing what's going on. What do you think?
7: You know, he never pretended to be a, a researcher with a capital R or to be uh, to be scientific in what he was doing. He was a little bit of a gadfly, you know, and observing the, the, the scene from his point of view. You had to, to take what he wrote with a with a sense of humor and uh, but it was uh, very often he was very well informed and there was that that gossip uh, sometimes was you know was significant because he had his own view his own independent view on things he didn't try to align himself with with a party line as so many of the you know ufo groups of the era were trying to were trying to do and so, you know, you had you had to take it with that perspective.
1: You mentioned Ray Palmer, and you met him. Now, Ray is someone else who I think was very influential in the early days of UFO research, I guess very much in part of, because of the fact that he co-founded Fate magazine, and that was just really important because he's one of the most popular sources of regular information on the subject— What was your take on him? Because there's an assessment there that he was also a bit of an operator and he would write things to get readers to talk about it, less so than to express deep-seated viewpoints. What do you
7: think? My my interest in meeting him was that getting uh, first-hand information about the Kenneth Arnold case and how, you know, the very early days of the controversy in the U.S., and, you know, I, I came to the U.S. in 1962, and by then, there had already been a lot of water under the bridge. Now, I had—my interest goes back to 1954, when there was a, a giant wave of observations over France and, and and then the rest of Western Europe, Italy, and so on. Uh, but um, I had already seen the early days in, in America, you know, from a distance— through the literature, through uh, magazines and newspapers and so on, and very little television. I mean, we didn't have TV uh, in, in my house uh, at, at the time. So most of it came from echoes of what was in the American press. And uh, so the I didn't have a chance to research Kenneth Arnold sighting myself, and I wanted to hear from Ray Palmer what things were like at that time, at that fate uh, convention by the way, in Chicago, I also met uh, Kenneth Arnold himself and he was quite a gentleman uh, he was much more uh, much better informed and much more of a technically precise person than people have given him credit for. I mean yes, he was a pilot and pilots are trained and pilots are precise. But he was also, you know, he spent quite a bit of his time looking for people who were lost in the mountains and so on and up in the state of Washington. And and so he was a very dedicated person. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of admiration for him. And that put a different color on his sighting that has been interpreted. You know, in many ways, uh, both by, by believers and, and by the press, of course, it turned it into flying saucers when, actually, they were not, the, the objects he saw were not round. They were more like wedge-shaped, but they skipped in the atmosphere like saucers that you would skip on water. And that's where the expression flying saucers came from, but they did were not shaped like saucers. And uh, he, he was, you know, a very precise Man, he he was supposed to speak at the same time as me, and he um, was courteous enough to cancel or to reschedule his presentation uh, in order to to attend my presentation, and, and and then we had a long talk after that. Um, Ray Palmer was, um, but, but you know, by then was you know he was crippled. He was older. This was, you know, 20 years later, 20 years after the Kenneth Arnold case. but So he was much more reflective than I had expected. He was, uh, I, you know, it was sort of in danger of turning into a philosopher, if I, is what I'm trying to say.
1: Ray Palmer will philosophize that he didn't want to be a philosopher, don't you think?
7: Uh, he didn't, no, no, no. I mean, his, you know, his business was uh, uh, was science fiction and uh uh, and, you know, good, good writing, short stories, uh, colorful news. That's what, what he liked.
1: This is always the thing that we wonder about with Palmer, and that is his association with Richard Shaver. And I knew Richard Shaver fairly well in the last five, ten years of his life. Do you think Palmer was just glomming off Shaver? Hey, this is a way I can sell magazines.
7: Look, it, it's a great story. I mean, it's a story that will never die. I mean, uh, you know, Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, wrote Pellucidar, and, you know, the idea that the earth is hollow, uh, you, know, uh, you know, it makes for great uh, pulp, you know. it was in that tradition of the great American pulp magazines?
1: We got more to come with Jacques Vallée. We're kind of reminiscing about someone we both knew slightly. Ray Palmer, and the early influences. More to come with Gene and Chris. You're in The podcast.
9: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
16: Are you one of the 15 million men who suffer from an enlarged prostate? If your life revolves around finding the closest bathroom, if you're tired of waking up many times a night to urinate, then you need to know about Prostate Miracle. Prostate Miracle contains beta-cytosterol, which is 3,000 times stronger than salt-pied metal. To claim your $10 Patriot discount, go to ProstateMiracle.com and enter promo code PATRIOT or call 877-965-2140. That's 877-965-2140.
17: Hi, this is nuclear physicist lecturer Stanton Friedman. You are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: As you say, Ray Palmer was involved in the great pulp magazine tradition as editor of amazing stories. And it was interesting when you bring up Edgar Rice Burroughs, some of the final short stories from Edgar Rice Burroughs were in Amazing Stories because Palmer lured him back into writing, which is very interesting. In fact, he was starting a whole new series with John Carter of Mars where he goes to Jupiter, but he never finished the story.
7: It's an inferior literary genre, but I, I think that's unfair. I mean, if you think that the, the point of uh, writing is first to entertain people and occasionally to uh, bring things to their attention or educate them. Uh, the the, the pops were um, remarkable. Uh, they certainly are part of, of, of the American folklore and uh, loved and admired around the world. You know, for, you know there is nothing wrong with a, a good story. And that's what uh, Ray, Ray Palmer didn't set up himself as, a, a, an, a, as an arbiter of uh, beauty or accuracy or science. I mean, that wasn't his job. His job was just to publish interesting stories. And uh, he didn't judge them. And that's okay.
2: He was an entertainer, publisher,
1: raconteur.
7: (laughs) Well, you know, it worked.
1: (laughs) With Palmer, with Fate Magazine especially, he kept the UFO mystery alive. He had... Kenneth Arnold, write the story there. They had the coming of the saucers book. He really gave it a really huge push. And some people even regard Palmer as an early father of the UFO mystery. Do you think that's maybe pushing it a little bit too far?
7: No. No, I think there are a number of of cases uh, and a number of um, uh, important ideas that we would not know about if it hadn't been in Fate magazine. And
2: um, Right, and he, he gave Kenneth Arnold a platform, and that pivotal event uh, as as we look at it now may not have been as pivotal if Ray Palmer hadn't been involved and actually hired Arnold to uh, to do writing for him.
7: But, you know, he was yes, I mean, this was, those were, he was publishing them as because they were good stories, and he had the, you know, the Kind of genius of recognizing the value of uh, of a good story when other people didn't, and um, because of the format, he nobody could censor him. I mean, it's not he wasn't trying to be to impress scientists or to impress anybody. He just wanted to uh, sell his magazine with good stories in it, and um, but remember, his public was fairly. Sophisticated. I mean, those were the the people who would read um, science fiction, the early science fiction novels and short stories, uh, you know, the, the the great American science fiction, which I, I had, you know, the opportunity to, when I was in France, one of my early, no- I wrote a, no- a science fiction novel. It was uh, picked up. It was published by a French, a big French publisher. And my my publisher, uh, he, a man named Georges Gallet, had been an interpreter. Uh, he was, you know, he spoke English very well. Had been in the U.S. before the war, and during World War II, he was an interpreter with the American Army. And he noticed that all the GIs were carrying pulp magazines, you know, and they were, you know, leaning against a tank or a jeep when, uh, you know, when there was a lull in the fighting and they would read that stuff. And he was fascinated with it. I mean, there was nothing like it in Europe. And I think people don't realize, you know, in in the U.S. even now, don't realize the impact that that kind of simple story had overseas. And, of course, um, uh, Galet then became started a, a collection in France, Translating the great uh, great American science fiction of the 40s and 50s and 60s, and and also publishing uh, French science fiction like like my early novel, and uh, that's that was my introduction to to those magazines before I came to before I came to the U.S. And this was this was good stuff, and the the people who read Fate, certainly in those years were fairly sophisticated in terms of you know being able to tell a good story and and uh, seeing what was true and what wasn't true like you say the shaver mystery um, you know uh, this was fun and it was uh, it was brilliant
2: <laughs> and and I think it's important for our younger listeners out there to to take note that when you look at a subject like um like the unidentified flying object mystery and, and other so-called paranormal subjects, I think it's important uh, to go back to the beginning of how these memes were created, uh, who propagated them, how they spread through the culture, um, how, they've, how they've kind of grown to have a life of their own, how they spun off other memes into the culture. And, and oftentimes some of the best clues that we have to look at a particular subject are contained at the very beginning when that when that particular subject uh, or meme uh, begins to spread, and I think it's very important uh, to look at, at things like Ray Palmer and Amazing Stories, Fate Magazine, and how they they subtly have had tremendous influence. Uh, sort of a kind of a quantum physical, you know, this butterfly, you know, flapping yeah. its wings, creating a train wreck in Paris. Uh, you know, we've had. We've had an amazing uh, it, it, these some of these memes have grown into incredible, fantastical scenarios that today people are taking as being true. Uh, you know, you could I could really start in on the Corey Goods and the Andrew Bessagos and the Laura Eisenhower's and and some of these fantastic stories that that to me obviously are um, I mean at the best delusional at the worst disinformation and. Uh, but millions of people are buying into this stuff. And, you know, to have, have Dr. Valet on the program and, and uh, you know, to be talking about how these memes originally got the, their foothold in the culture, this is important stuff. And I think the younger generation who's up and coming into this field needs to go back and become, you know, have, have a working knowledge of how these things have unfolded over the last 70 years. This is really, really important stuff. So take notes, everybody. I'm off my soapbox.
7: <laughs> well, some of those uh, short stories, uh, were later picked up by Hollywood and turned into uh, major movies. So, uh, and they certainly set up sort of the landscape uh, that was amenable to being turned into movies and, uh, and a certain mood and a certain, uh, freedom of the imagination, which you now maybe we've lost a little bit. And, uh, you know, I I don't read Edgar Rice Burroughs anymore, you know, but uh, I've I've moved on. But at one time in my life, I I really enjoyed uh, that that whole series about uh, you know the, the the Mars series and the Moon series and so on, and those were uh, those were fun. And yeah, but but
2: we so? knew they were fiction. Uh, today, people are taking similar stories and and claims uh, to be real and to be. Uh, Scientifically, uh, <laughs> uh, no matter how ridiculous uh, some of these claims uh, might be, there's millions of people that are buying into it and accepting it as reality. So we've taken we've taken the you know the wonderful innocence of the early uh, early part of, of of the era of the modern era of flying saucers and etc. And now the fantasy portion of it has now kind of blurred the lines and now is being accepted as real. I see that as a major problem. How about you? I mean, people are not differentiating between what is plausible and possibly real to what is absolutely implausible and and it just doesn't have really much chance of being real. What what do you think?
7: I think about that pretty often because the the Internet, of course, has had a a major effect on on this. When uh, uh, stories appear on the internet, they they can be marketed in such a way that they look like. And of of course, that's that's true in politics as well. Um, But uh, people can insert memes, new memes or old memes, to market something, uh, including, of course, political ideas, but including rewriting history. And, you know, we see that all the time. And also, uh, I I think that, uh, to some extent, uh, uh, you know, there are places in the government that have been using that to um, misdirect. uh, It's not necessarily, you know, disinformation in the usual, um, you know, sense, but it it comes pretty close to it
1: let's do our break here jacques Jacques, let's do our break here and i want to get okay. into that we got more to come with jacques valet and jean and chris you're in the
9: thank you for listening to gcn be sure to visit GCNLive.com today
18: North Korea openly threatens the U.S. and launches a new missile every other week. Their warhead of choice? Electromagnetic pulse. Such an event would cripple the U.S. power grid for years and leave millions in the dark. Are you ready? You can be with a Solark EMP-hardened solar generator. Solark works day in and day out to keep your essentials protected. You can have peace of mind knowing your power will be there when you most need it. Visit PortableSolarLLC.com to see EMP testing. That's PortableSolarLLC.com. Energy insurance for your family.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Jane Steinberg.
1: Exploring a lot of things here, and when some of our listeners start saying the Paracast shouldn't be doing pop culture, well, think of the important impact that pop culture has in our society. So Jacques Vallée, you were talking there. About the government, not disinformation so much as what? Taking advantage of the situation.
7: Taking advantage of uh, belief systems to promote either to hide something or to promote something. Look at the books that have come come out recently about uh, in parapsychology, uh, the, 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 you know about psychical research, the books about area fifty one which keep coming out. The books about Project Blue Book uh, that uh, are sort of skirting the truth in funny ways. And, um, you know, that we, we're talking about forbidden science, about my record uh, of, uh, you know, the 80s, the 1980s and what happened there. The 1980s were a major turning point in the history of scientific research on what people call generally the paranormal, and especially you know things like remote viewing, and parapsychology, and so on, that was a turning point because there had been research funded by the government at places like SRI where I worked for a while, you know, officially sponsored and paid for by by the government, and this was really good research. And the the truth about it has become. Somewhat blurred by, you know, all the different interpretations and so on. So, uh, and and the same the same is true, by the way, about the internet. With no uh, evil intention from anybody, but people are constantly forgetting wh- where the internet came from. One time, I had a um, a historian came to see me because he wanted to interview me about the the history of the internet. And I said, "Well, you know they are why don't you go to the people at DARPA, you know, in Washington? yeah, really? <laughs> he said, well, i've I've been there, but it's not the same people. And uh, they gave me their recollection of it. But what's different about you is that you wrote about it at the time. And that's the whole difference from looking back twenty years later, And writing a story about Area 51 or a story about Alan Hynek or a story about Blue Book uh, or Socorro, you know, uh, or some of those things. And it's different when you write it day by day. And, of course, when you write day by day, and one of the criticisms of my diary is that, of course, there are things that are wrong. There are things that are wrong because I see it on Friday. I learn about it from a friend or I... I in mean, a conversation, and I, I discover something, and then by Monday or Tuesday, I've learned something else. So you can see errors being made and being corrected, and how the truth emerges after days or months uh, or years sometimes. Yeah, it's a process. And- Yeah, and that's, you know, that's the truth. I mean, that's the real thing, and this is not something you can edit. So much to my uh, chagrin, I I cannot go back and rewrite, you know, gee, I was dumb, you know, and I believed what this guy was saying, but the the, the following day I checked up on it, and I I found out that it was different. The same thing with um, investigating cases. I still spend quite a bit of my time quietly, you know, Investigating cases that interest me; those are not necessarily the cases. In fact, most no, most of the time, it's not the cases that are on TV or, or in the UFO magazines. Except for uh, the Sherman
2: wait. Ranch, uh, the Sherman Ranch would be an exception.
7: Yes. Well, it was an exception because I was part of the of the science board for Mister Bigelow, so I followed that story for many years. Yes. Yeah.
2: As have I, having been the first one that went up there, really, and uh, who, who had any sort of experience uh, investigating claims of this sort. Uh, I was up there before. In fact, I I gave him Bigelow's phone number. Uh, I also gave him Lawrence Rockefeller's phone number. Of course, uh, Robert called him and we had him contacted as soon as the, the Zach Van Eck article came out, which first publicly exposed the uh, the claims of uh, Terry Sherman and and this so-called Skinwalker Ranch case. For those of uh, you out there that don't know who Terry uh, Sherman was, we're talking about the Sherman Ranch uh, case or the Skinwalker Ranch case. You know, it's interesting that uh, you have continued on because, you know, I feel feel sort of, you know, I, I feel like I've been following your model. I've been continuing on investigating as well, but not publicizing. You know the the places where I go and the people that I talk to, um, you know at some point you really have to draw the line about when it's expedient to keep your you know keep everything on the low low key so that you can get more done without uh, you know without obstacles. publicity and and attention tend to you know throw up obstacles and and it tends to water down your your efforts. you you don't have as pure a uh, an investigative environment. If uh, you have people looking over your shoulders, so I can really appreciate that, and I, I can't wait to dive into the the last volume of Forbidden Science because I I really am not familiar with uh, some of the stuff that you've done recently. Are, are are you planning on including this information into an additional volume? Uh, I know that you've been, you know, that you've kind of delineated out time periods, but um, has any of this, uh, let's say, in the last ten years, uh, the cases that uh, been involved with? Uh, have they been publicized in any way? And, and no. if not, do you plan on publicizing them?
7: Well, some of them, when they are relevant, yes, I publish them, or I, you know, I, I help. One of the things I'm in a position to do uh, today is to to help new people who come into the field and are doing good research. First, in giving them, you know, the benefit of, of a uh, historical perspective. I'm not, I'm not the only one. I mean, I'm not... But I can point them to other people who, like me, have followed the field for a long time so that they don't fall into the the pitfall of believing the current story that's on the Internet and so on. They, they can tell... You know, they can have firsthand accounts of what really happened, and then they can go on from there. So sometimes I can... Uh, Open some doors for them uh, because I know where the bodies are buried. <laughs> you know, so and you know I stay in the background, but I, I can I can help them. There there is, by the way, an example of that in a book that I highly recommend. It was just published by Anomalist. It's a book by David Boer called No Return. And uh, David is uh, an excellent researcher. Spent. Uh, three or four years researching the book um, we just had him on the show
2: uh, a couple
7: of weeks ago well this is a case that had always fascinated me that I was hoping to be able to return to it someday and then David contacted me because he was doing that and I, I was able to you know uh, help him in a, a couple of things that's uh, the the other you know, privilege I have is that I have wonderful readers who write to me they don't want any publicity, but they will tell me about things that happened in their house or in their on their property and uh, give me access to to that <laughs> access to the witnesses and access to the property. and so that is. Uh, no, and of course, I will follow. If, if they don't want any publicity, there won't be any publicity. Right. Um, I also have good contacts in Silicon Valley, and you would be surprised at the level of interest that exists in Silicon Valley among the, you know, the the, the newer companies in this field. And uh, again, um, Silicon Valley can keep its secrets very, very well. Um, yep. But these are sophisticated people. And uh, with high technology, and uh, that is uh, really a privilege because I can do some analyses, I can do some computation, I can uh, I can do some things, you know, with uh, fairly casual access to the best uh, tools. So the things that I'm that I'm doing now.
1: We're going to break now. We got more to come with Jacques Vallée and Jean and Chris. What a fascinating session.
0: Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit Rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com.
20: You want to save money in a place that gives you growth, control, and certainty without stock market risk or tax risk, and you want guarantees and you want it all tax-free. That's a tall order. But you can get all of that with properly designed, participating whole life insurance. Most people think life insurance pays after you're dead. That's true. But you can have tax-free access to use your life insurance while you're alive. Get the free book to find out how. Call 702-660-7000 investing is a long-term
3: process how many times can you think of in the last decade that the stock market has destroyed retirement funds for people just like you and me for your existing ira you need the security that gold has provided for centuries remember gold has never been worth zero Capital Gold would like to introduce you to the Home Storage Gold IRA. It's a self-directed IRA set up with all the protection and tax benefits of an LLC. But the big difference in this IRA is you invest in gold and you hold it in your possession. You can't do that with stocks. That's security. You can transfer any type of IRA hassle-free in days. Please call right now and learn more and we'll waive the $500 setup fee and give you a free safe to store your gold. 800-535-7789 800-535-7789 800-535-7789 That's
13: 800-535-7789
8: Hi, this is Joshua
11: P. Warren, author of The Poor Man's Paranormal, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
2: We're back. We're here with Dr. Jacques Vallée. And Jacques, you were talking about being contacted by uh, folks uh, with interesting cases, uh, and um, how you've provided kind of a platform for their their cases, their views to you know look into them, to to guide them, to give them you know the benefit of your your long involvement in the field. And you know I must say I'm you know I've always wanted to you know get into more of a dialogue with you and talk to you. I, I remember for years I sent you my Mysterious Valley report, which you. <laughs> may or may not remember. I remember you were on my sure, mailing list, and sure. and I sent them out for many years. And uh, I actually sent that out free to anyone, any investigator that contacted me and wanted to know what was going on there. And and of course, I I just felt that it was is it was more of a of a service to the to the research community. But you know, I've been involved in a in a project of attempting to get a triangulated array of high definition cameras in the San Luis Valley. It's been a Almost a ten-year process. It's it's been very difficult to uh, get people to work for nothing and to you know spec their time and and stuff. But uh, you know what you just said about uh, Silicon Valley being interested and in, and of course when you say Silicon Valley, obviously you're talking about cutting-edge technology be very, very interesting to see if anyone there uh, would be interested in getting involved in monitoring a bona fide hotspot area. I think your efforts uh, that you uh, spelled out back in 78 and 79, I think you you attempted to do the same thing up at the Happy Valley, California yeah. site. But at the time, uh, I mean, we just didn't have the sophisticated levels of technology. And, of course, the cost was just prohibited back then. What do you think about uh, hard data monitoring of hotspot areas? For instance, the uh, UFO Tog program—I I think uh, uh, Douglas Trumbull and Mark D'Antonio uh, have been involved with—and and my San Luis Valley camera project uh, has Dellen, of course, being the uh, the litmus test uh, for all this. What do you think of that approach of, of really attempting to get hard data, of, you know, and monitor with magnetometers, gravitometers, maybe a, active radar, that sort of thing, of course, uh, optical information. What, what do you think of that approach? Do you think that we're at a place where that, with a level of technology and the affordability will allow us to, to gain some scientific insights?
7: As you just said, it's difficult to do. Just designing and implementing an optical camera and then getting it to uh, that place up uh, in Northern California, all the way up in the mountains, it was a fascinating project. And, you know, I was doing that with my son, and it was an opportunity for us to drive up there into the countryside and work on this and work with the local witnesses of, at that particular site, which was a, a site of uh, repeated landings. But we had to, of course, camouflage the camera because otherwise somebody could sit there on the picnic and notice the camera and take it away or something. Also, you have to protect it from insects because you don't, you don't want the spider to put a web in front of the lens. Uh, we could only get there, you know, once a month or so. So it had to be able to take pictures for a month on a regular schedule. Now, all that was, it wasn't high tech, but it was uh, a little bit complicated in terms of logistics because it was uh, a six-hour drive from San Francisco and six hours to get back. So, (laughs) you know, it's difficult as um, I I think that, you know, what you've been doing is very important because we, we need to monitor several sites, if only for comparison with the Skinwalker Ranch in terms of, you know, what can you learn from a site like this? How often are you going to get information? How do you record information? Is it the same phenomenon everywhere? Or does the every geographic area may have a slightly different phenomenon? It's difficult to do even to monitor one room. I mean, I know of a case where things are appearing in somebody's bedroom. A number of technical people have been involved in, in monitoring. Of course, it has to be unobtrusive. You don't want to overload the room with computers and big cameras. You have to do it in normal light or normal darkness if it's happening at night. So even in one room, it's difficult. And when you're trying to monitor an entire valley or an entire ranch, it's it's hard to do. One of the, the things I can talk about is when Mr. Bigelow acquired the ranch, we we had a subcommittee of the science board looking at what instrumentation—exactly your question—you know, what instrumentation we should we should put there, knowing that we didn't want to go overboard. Uh, we wanted people to be able to still do their normal work without being, uh, uh, you know, bothered by the, the technology getting in the way. One of the things I insisted on was. If we're going to have a ring of cameras, we should have another ring of cameras watching the first cameras because something, the phenomenon can tamper with a camera. And in fact, that did happen.
1: I wanted to interrupt because that just just hit me right there because I think they have that issue sometimes reported with UFO abductions where they want to set up a camera to catch it in action and something weird happens. So in the case you're talking about, the tampering, what actually seems to happen?
7: You cannot take the, quote, you know, scientific, rational approach to this. The scientific, rational approach is you monitor a phenomenon like, uh, I don't know, clouds in the sky. Uh, You're going to set up a couple of special cameras and you're going to record what happens and then you're going to process it in some way. But the the clouds are not going to lie to you. Uh, Here we have a phenomenon that we, we don't understand what it is physically we think we do. I mean, it has lights and it has, you know, when it lands, it uh, does something to the ground. And Okay, so we can assume that that will continue, although that's not a given. For example, you want to monitor something that has a light, but lots of UFOs are dark. So uh, you may not catch them with uh, the same technology. You expect them to move slowly, but some of them can disappear in the blink of an eye. So where did they go? And your camera didn't catch that. By the way, people in the space program have the same problem. I mean, for a long time, they didn't know about the Van Allen belts because their sensors stopped where they assumed that the field would be maximum. And the field was much, much, much higher in those areas. They just saturated their sensors. So they had to redo the thing and understand why it was saturated. You know, that's how you make discoveries. And that's how they discovered the Van Allen belts. The same thing here. It's, uh, on top of that, we have to assume that the phenomenon is intelligent. And if the phenomenon is intelligent, it's going to detect our cameras. And we know this is a phenomenon that loves to play with gadgets. It plays with airplanes. It plays with rockets. You know, all the cases from uh, the Air Force or from uh, other places where they launch a rocket right. and something arrives from the end of the horizon and it spirals around the rocket as a rocket goes up. You know, that has been recorded going back to the 50s. So it's... It's a phenomenon that loves to play with your gadgets.
1: Let's do our break here, guys. Let's do our break. More to come with Jacques Vallée. And Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast.
9: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
18: North Korea openly threatens the U.S. and launches a new missile every other week. Their warhead of choice? Electromagnetic pulse. Such an event would cripple the U.S. power grid for years and leave millions in the dark. Are you ready? You can be with a Solark EMP-hardened solar generator. Solark works day in and day out to keep your essentials protected. You can have peace of mind knowing your power will be there when you most need it. Visit PortableSolarLLC.com to see EMP testing. That's PortableSolarLLC.com. Energy insurance for your family.
22: It's been said.
19: Kiyosaki, Rogers, and Schiff all concur. There's an economic calamity that'll be facing this country. My question to you is do you know when and are you prepared? Most people don't, but my friends over at Republic Monetary Exchange have been leading experts in precious metals to help you offset the coming economic collapse. Right now, for a limited time, they have a free book called The 10 Reasons You Should Own Gold. You simply need to give them a call at 888 772 2929 to get that in your hands. Do not allow the insiders to do what they did to you in 2008 putting your iras 401ks and savings in jeopardy you need this book and you need it now the 10 reasons you should own gold call 888-772-2929 that's 888-772-2929 there's a reason that the largest investment banking company in the world jp morgan just purchased another 50 million ounces of silver this free book will explain it 888-772-2929. This
23: is Micah Hanks of The Alien Report, and you're listening to The Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal
1: radio. Let me remind your neighbors that we have another radio show called After The Paracast, where we'll have a lot to say about Jacques, but not behind his back. It's, you know, just an appreciation of all the things we're learning right now. And the only way you can hear that show if you become a member of the Paracast Plus, go to plus.theparacast.com. That's P-L-U-S dot S.Theparacast.com. We also give you a version of this show free of the network ads. Was that enough? There's more to come on the Paracast Plus, plus.theparacast.com. Jacques Filet is here reminiscing about a lot of subjects, focusing on a lot of subjects, but very much in part because. Our friends at Anomalous Books have reprinted the three volumes of his Forbidden Science Journals, and that's something you really want to check out.
2: You know, again, I'm, I'm kind of fishing here for a way to move forward um, in investigating particular hotspot areas, if you will, window areas, and um, whether there's ever going to be a, an efficient way to gather hard data. You were you were starting to talk about the uh, Sherman Ranch, the Skinwalker Ranch case, where one of the cameras uh, was rendered inoperable. Uh, literally, wires jerked out of the uh, thing. Uh, if I remember correctly, uh, we had John Alexander on the show, and he <laughs> gave us a very, a very colorful blow-by-blow explanation of what happened. As you mentioned, Jock, not only did you have uh, a ring of cameras, you had another set of cameras watching. the other cameras and on cue uh this thing evidently tore out the wires on the camera and the camera looking at the camera that had been impacted by whatever it was really didn't show anything going up there and actually rendering that initial camera inoperative what do you what do you make of that i wrote a book on the trickster and i've i've been you're wrapping my head around this whole idea of of absurdity and and inexplicability and tricksterism uh, as a, an integral part of of many of these phenomenal events across uh, you know across the spectrum.
7: Uh, what do you make of that? I've seen that tape. Um, I was uh, congratulating myself for <laughs> telling those guys they should have a second. Ring of camera because otherwise, you know, we would have assumed that that particular camera had just cut off, um, or that somebody had done something and and we didn't know what it, who it was. The fact that we could see that we were looking at that camera all the time, and that there was nobody there cutting the wire, you know, puts it in a completely different different category. You know. <sighs> I don't want to say anything discouraging, but for, uh, you know, people don't (laughs) realize that, but for about six years on the Sherman Ranch, nothing happened. Even though there were scientists there, there were, were, you know, the the ranchers were there, their family. Essentially, there were the cameras, there was uh, sensors, and nothing happened. So uh, unless you have the kind of resources that Mr. Bigelow can can deploy, you know, you have to be prepared for a lot of work that's really unrewarded. And then from time to time, something would happen. We, we had cattle mutilations. We had things that, um, you know, uh, animals that disappeared and reappeared. We had very strange behavior by, by animals. We had uh, orbs, but there was no flying saucer. You know, and we started out thinking we were going to get footage or certainly uh, information about craft. And there were craft in, uh, with our neighbors, you know, to the left and to the right, but uh, not on the ranch. There were indications of strange things that were at the limit of what we were recording. And... Actually, I've, I've gone back uh, thanks to a gentleman named Frank Salisbury, uh, who was a long-term friend of mine, was a, a professor of plant um, pathology uh, at the University of Utah and then at Utah State.
2: We had him on the show,
7: The,
2: the Great Utah UFO Display, one of my favorite books.
7: Yes, well, he um, uh, wanted to redo that book. So, you know, 40 years later, and so he offered me to join him. And we went back, uh, relocated most of the witnesses in his first book. Um, uh, Frank passed away, by the way, a little over a year ago, which is, is a pity. He was really a, a great scientist, a great gentleman, and had um, access to both the Uh, Mormon community there and the Indian community uh, and, uh, you know, knew Utah very well. Uh, And, you know, never mind the skatewalker Ranch. I mean, all of northern Utah is a high uh, paranormal area.
2: Well, the the U.N.A. Basin especially. Yes. And and he, he was pretty dismissive of the Sherman Ranch case. Um, he 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 wasn't really that impressed with it. Uh, I remember the uh, when he re-released, um, you know, the book, uh, the Great U- uh, Utah UFO display. He had an addendum chapter in there, if I uh, recall, and um, he didn't seem very impressed with the Sherman Ranch case. Uh, privately, what did what did he uh, tell you? What what were his feelings about the claims of the Shermans and and the effort that Bigelow? Um, you know, and Comb Kelleher and John and and yourself and the other folks that were involved peripherally. Uh, w- w- what did he tell you privately?
7: Well, at that point, I, he certainly knew a lot more about uh, Utah than I did, but I knew a lot more about the the ranch than than he did. He has he never set foot on the ranch, um, and I didn't. At that point, you know, the 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 ranch was uh going through transformations and so on I wasn't involved day to day and I did not want to go there without uh, Mr. Bigelow's knowing that we were doing this and um, but what I told um, Frank was that you know we what was going on through you know uh, uh, Dr. Keller's book is 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 really excellent and it sets up most of the information about the ranch, but you can find cases, you know, all over, um, as you said, all over the basin. So we took two trips, um, Dr. Salisbury and I, of um, a- about ten days each, uh, around, you know, going from Vernal to Fort Duchesne. If you see where that is, around Roosevelt, and. Uh, then the second trip, we started through the winter uh, mountain chain, starting from uh, from Utah, and uh, I mean from Salt uh, Lake City, and going over the the North, going even a little bit into Wyoming, and then coming back through the mountains, uh, which he loved, by the way, as a as a young man, he uh, had you know climbed all over those mountains and so on, had wonderful reminiscences of of the landscape and the people and so on, and then driving back towards Roosevelt again. And that whole area is full of cases of, you know, UFOs, again, that we could verify and augment what he had done in his first book, but also sightings of creatures, uh, sighting of uh, skinwalkers, orbs, and all kinds of other things. And, uh, you know... Uh, Strange disappearances, paranormal phenomena, and those were typically not reported because you have you're dealing with two communities that are very <laughs> unique in and very closed. Yeah, keeping information to their own to their own standards and their own traditions.
1: Yeah, let's do our break here, and we got more to come with Jean, Chris, and our special guest Jacques Falay. And, you know, we're just going to get started here. We've got lots of questions from listeners that Chris is going to bring up in a moment. And maybe we'll get a further commitment from Jacques later on this year to come back. With (laughs) Jeannie and Chris, you're in. (laughs) The Pericast.
9: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
20: You want to save money in a place that gives you growth, control, and certainty without stock market risk or tax risk, and you want guarantees and you want it all tax-free. That's a tall order. But you can get all of that with properly designed participating whole life insurance. Most people think life insurance pays after you're dead. That's true. But you can have tax-free access to use your life insurance while you're alive. Get the free book to find out how. Call 702-660-7000.
15: If you're a sleep apnea sufferer who's on the go, go to your phone and call right now to try the world's first portable mini CPAP device, absolutely risk-free for 10 restful nights. It's the Transcend Mini CPAP, an engineering marvel that's as small as a soda can and weighs less than a pound. Its unique design is so small and so light, you can fit it in your briefcase or purse to use anywhere you go. No more dragging around a big, bulky CPAP. Even better, now you can try Transcend absolutely risk-free for 10 restful nights by calling minicpap.com, 1-800-962-4276. Transcend is FAA-compliant, too, so you can even sleep comfortably while flying. You can also add a battery pack that's as tiny as a deck of cards. So now you can enjoy the freedom to sleep comfortably anywhere. But don't wait. To receive your 10-night in-home trial, call MiniCPAP.com now. 1-800-962-4276. That's
12: 1-800-962-4276. Looking for that edge during those intimate moments? We see many ads for enhancement, but the side effects include death.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: First, some people think I should be just committed and that would be the end of everything right there. That's how we go. Jacques, thank you for being a good sport and putting up with me. And Chris? No problem, I enjoy it. We shall continue.
2: Well, you know, I've, I've done a bit of digging myself, a little bit of research. Um, I did have my investigative blinders on. I had a perfect Petri dish in the San Luis Valley, but the one case that did draw me out of the valley was the uh, Skinwalker Ranch so-called uh, case. And because of my, I was very, very intrigued by the claims of Terry and the family uh, I started developing some sources and, and doing field trips up to the Uinta Basin, the southern part of the Uinta Basin, down to um, Interstate 70, from Sago Canyon in the west to uh, Baxter Pass in the uh, east. Unfortunately, uh, you know Frank should uh, Salisbury should have taken you down south of the Sherman Ranch into the gas and oil fields. Uh, area. We heard
7: of some cases there, and we spoke to the manager of one of those fields, but we didn't go there. You're absolutely right. We we should have spent more time down there.
2: The, the, the Uinta Mountains uh, are very, very compelling. The only mountains in the, uh, North America that run, I think, east, east to west, west or west to east, yes. uh, all yes. all other mountain chains run north to south. I think the Brooks Range in, in Alaska would be the, the one kind of exception. but. You know, I'm telling you, I I went to some areas in the middle of the Uinta Basin to the southern end of it, just above uh, I-70, um, you know, along the Green River area, uh, Baxter Pass, as I mentioned, uh, you know, south of Bonanza. there There is amazing activity going on down there. And the only people that really see it are the oil and gas workers uh, and the very, very few residents that are down there. And some of the uh, Native American traditions and stories that have developed out of that area are ex- extremely intriguing, but it would take an army to cover that area. It's so large uh, and it's so remote; uh, it's very, very difficult to get to. But that, to me, is one of those undiscovered, unpolished diamonds in potential UFO research. Uh, and, and there are a number of areas like that, obviously, around the around the country. But but that that's one of my you know, I mean, if I had you know, unlimited budgets and a lot of people helping, that's where I would be setting up some gear and and setting people up to uh, to do some observation. As you pointed out, whatever this phenomenon is or the phenomena are, uh, is very very intelligent. It can anticipate what we're going to do even before we realize we're going to do it. I, I will go that extra step. Not only will it anticipate what we're trying to do, it will second guess us before we even get to the point of of, of trying to do it. And once you get to that point of it being able to predict what your inclinations are, or what your compulsions are, I mean, it's very very difficult <laughs> to try to set up some sort of scientific, uh, you know, set of protocols and gear and and efforts to uh, gain hard data and then replicate that data. Most importantly. So what we have to do is we have to try to out-fox the fox or out-trick the trickster, if you will. Uh, how would you suggest that we go about doing that? Do, do we need to dive into the realm of, of psychics and channelers and all that? Or is there some other way?
7: You, you asked a very good question earlier. You know, what can be done when you have an area which is an active, uh, intense area? I, I, and I don't mean to, to evade your question. There, there are a couple of things that are new, and high-tech, but potentially useful. I mean, not, not all high technology is useful, <laughs> you know, as we saw with, uh, with Skype. Uh, but in those two cases, there is a, a little book uh, that's been out for about a year called Cameleo. And it's written by a, a professor of English at a university in Southern California. It's Cameleo, C-A-M-E-L-E-O and he wrote it as a novel because I don't think he could write it in any other way. But it's about a series of events that happened around San Diego that he was privy to through some of his friends and probably some of his students, They having to do with people who could make themselves invisible. Now, that is kind of a preposterous claim, but it reminded me of something that happened when I published um, a book called Revelations many, many years ago. And I had a phone call in the middle of the night from someone uh, who obviously was technically very savvy, said, uh, Dr. Vallee, I cannot tell you who I am or where I work, but some of the things you've been describing in your book look like some of the things we're doing. And I said, "Uh, so what do you do? And he said, well, we make things disappear. And if I told you that I've been in the middle of maneuvers with uh, large vehicles, like tanks, for example, and that I was 100 feet from the tank and I couldn't see the tank, would you believe me? And how, if you had to do something like this, how would you do it? So I thought, well, yeah, well, if, you, if if the skin of the tank is made of optical fibers, maybe I can direct the light around the tank and then I'm not going to see the tank. He said, well, you know, that could be one way to do it, but... Um, uh, you know, that would be pretty complicated, and there are probably other ways of doing it that I can't tell you, but um, that you should continue to think about. And he hung up. I've never forgotten that conversation, because obviously it was somebody who knew what he was working on, and he knew what he was doing, and he stopped just at the point where it might have infringed on you know, some technology that wasn't um, available. You know, I
2: hate to interrupt you, but I was visited by a higher-up at Martin Marietta at Buckley Air Force Base who uh, asked me the same question. So I'm wondering if we're talking about the same individual.
7: We might be. And in Camille, uh, he actually identifies somebody who fits that description, who might be, because he was not, uh, well, he was part of the project, but he probably wasn't subject to the same classification as the, the other people. So he could kind of talk about it. I mean, how many people would there be <laughs> who were would be privy to that and could talk about it? Uh, but this was many years ago. It was over 20 years ago, that conversation. Camero came came out a year ago, and he talks about the same thing. So since uh, 2 plus 2 is still equal to 4, I thought about the uh, invisible, uh, you know, the the, the cable being cut on that camera on the ranch and other things that happened on the ranch where uh, they couldn't see anybody. And, And, you know, northern Utah would be an ideal place to test some of those things if you wanted to test them on the normal population as opposed to testing them in a, you know, in a war game.
2: Well, I, I wouldn't call it a normal population. That's a small little bubble of uh, white ownership in the midst of a very large Native American reservation. Uh, oh, so yeah, it but, would be even more ideal.
7: <laughs> yeah, but the, the uh, both the Mormon community and the Indian community have had their own share of uh, observations. Oh, yeah. There, there was one case that uh, Frank and I looked at where a a skinwalker, which was essentially a very large dog walking on its hind legs, uh, uh, was uh, walking along the the, the road through a village north of Roosevelt. And, uh, you know, we spoke to the witnesses, and we also spoke to the highway patrol. They had called the highway patrol because they were scared of that thing. It didn't act hostile. It wasn't, you know, chasing chickens or eating their cat, but it was kind of impressive. So they called the highway patrol. The, the thing ran alongside the patrol car, uh, and they um, entered a um, uh, a reservation area. So they called the uh, tribal police. Tribal police sent a car um followed the highway patrol and the guy looked at the thing, got on the radio and said, It's all yours guys, good luck. I'm going home and he turned around and, and, and went home. Because that <laughs> meant something I love it different in his tradition. And as you know, if you've spent time there, they related to some of the Navajo traditions. And there is a lot of bad blood that is still there between the youth the U rays and the Navajos. right? That because goes back the U to the U- some parts of history that I certainly didn't learn in school. Okay, and you you learn it when you talk to people.
1: We have more with Jacques Fillet and Jean and Chris. You're in the podcast.
9: You are listening to GCN.
1: A Paracast Aluminum Water Bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, great t-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special. And multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. If you go to store.theparacast.com, stop by and take a shopping tour. If you had purchased
0: $100 of Bitcoin in 2010, today you'd have $2,600,000. While that sinks in, you now have a huge cryptocurrency opportunity at below market price at a guaranteed $0.10 per coin. ProCoin, a coin publicly traded on the open market, easily converted to cash, available in 60 countries. And ProCoin is the only cryptocurrency offering coin-back rewards for consumers and merchants. Take action by August 31st at ProCoinCurrency.net. That's ProCoinCurrency.net. Deadline for 10-cent guarantee is August 31st. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Jane Steinberg.
1: Final four segments of the Paracast, our special guest, Jacques Filet. Chris O'Brien had a comment.
2: Well, we were talking about uh, a upright, bipedal kind of wolfman or dogman sighting and passing off jurisdiction from the highway patrol to the, to the reservation cops or vice versa. But I, I think it's very interesting.
7: <laughs> you know, what I love about this kind of thing is that I, I keep learning lots of things from really good people and that's the kind of investigation i like you know i don't go into the field with a lot of equipment i never take a tape recorder i do take a camera I may mean, i have a camera on my phone so i i don't have a choice but i don't take any uh you know any special equipment what i like is to have the trust of of the people and they invite me in and uh you know we sit at the kitchen table uh If I'm lucky, I get a cup of coffee, which is not necessarily true in the Mormon community. Uh, And we talk. We talk about their life and we talk about my life and we talk about what we're trying to learn. And, you know, it's a mystery. And the uh, camellio is about making people stealthy, if not invisible. And I think that has to be something that we have to take into account. The other thing that people can do that you could do over the San Luis Valley is, you know, it used to be very difficult to get satellite pictures, it's not pictures, but images of an area especially at high resolution. But that's not true anymore because we... Uh, that's Google Earth. The things that, <laughs> that we do in, in Silicon Valley. Well, yeah, Google Earth is sort of static, but you can get daily pictures of your field at a resolution where you, you'll be able to see your car. So, you know, which is one meter resolution. And if you can get one meter resolution, you can probably fudge it to get 50 centimeter resolution, which, of course, a few years ago.
2: Yeah, classified. There where do it. I go? Where do I go to do that? Google Earth Pro?
7: No, not Google. Uh, there are a number of new companies that are buying the streams from the satellites, Planet Labs, which is now called Just Planet. It's a company in, in San Francisco. For some reason, all these guys are not in the Mojave Desert, where the rockets are. They, they are all in downtown San Francisco. And they are beginning to make those uh, streams of data available, you know to farmers and to they also do um, indices of activity, of industrial activity around the world. I mean so, one, so it's one,
2: near, uh, near real- time or real time. Daily, okay,
7: yeah, daily. So you can specify an area. You can begin to experiment with that. It's not cheap yet, but it's going to get very cheap and very easy to.
2: Which, which country owns the uh, satellites, the birds? Russian are, technology or
7: Airbus has a satellite. Uh, Google has a satellite, uh, but Google is more interested in internet. There are a number of new companies with uh, with birds with um, satellites. Uh, there, There is a, a company which is a very, very brand-new company. It's a startup in San Francisco also called Space Know, space uh, K-N-O-W. And what they do is they repackage all those different streams, and they index it by longitude and latitude, and they resell it to you. So you wow. Can, uh, oh,
2: this, this is really good news. Talk about can, supplemental can- data. Boy.
7: Yeah, if you look at com, you'll see uh, what they are doing. Their major clients right now are Bloomberg and, you know, people who track uh, financial indices, you know, inventories of oil and that kind of thing.
2: Right, and commodities, crops, that sort of thing. That could be invaluable. Absolutely.
7: Yeah, but yeah. they will also, you can experiment with them and they give you a break, you know, in the... Uh, uh, looking at a particular area on a daily basis, under the same, you, so you want it under the same sun angle, so that the shadows, you know, are the same. Th- there will be a number of those companies very quickly.
2: Wow, they have quite a number of satellites up there if they're able to to do, yeah, pretty extensive coverage, obviously. And they're pretty well, they're, they're, they're far well,
7: the up. solution does something a little bit different, and so you want an aggregator who takes uh, the data streams from all of those. And then repackages it for you in in a way that's convenient. Uh, yeah, that makes some assumptions. I mean, you're not going to see, you know, a dog walking on the sidewalk at that resolution. But you may you may see there is a big light at a particular time, and it stays for you know an hour or so. Uh, you may have a chance to be able to go back and pick it up.
2: Um, oh man, so that's great! you make
7: some assumptions about what it is that you're looking for, sweet. Exactly. That's a limitation.
2: Well, what we're doing with the San Luis Valley project is is uh, putting up a live stream of all three cameras, and we spent a, a modest amount of money uh, developing, you know, detect motion, uh, record motion, with obviously a lot of, uh, of buffers and, and filters to trigger to trigger true foe events as opposed to false positives, but. If we do get into a position where we have a triangulated array or, or at least two cameras and we do get an event, it would be great to dial up supplemental images from way up in space looking straight down to see if we can, uh, you know, collate, you know, coalesce uh, data together. Uh, yes. that, that's very, very exciting.
7: Uh, if you have trouble getting through that, um, you know, uh, in terms of... Uh, 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 transparency. Uh I I have financed that, that particular company. I mean I'm one of several investors in the company, so and and I, I follow them pretty well. So I may be able to help you get, you know, specific images if you want to.
2: Wow, thank you so much. That's oh man, you have no idea what that means.
7: <laughs> Whoa So that's the kind of technology exciting. That's moving very quickly and that yeah. we can take so, advantage so, of so what do you think the of other this? Thing is what do you of, think of uh,
2: the technology now? I mean, you must be really excited.
7: Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, this is something that we were thinking of in the nineties. Uh, I could tell you funny stories about what we did, and we, uh, we eventually gave up because we realized the market wasn't ready. But we actually started a company in nineteen ninety four to do this uh, with some help from NASA, and actually, we you know we could do it, but it was. Kind of heroic, and people who are not ready to buy the the kind of images we could generate. Today the market is is enormous, so now is the time for those those companies, and, and the technology has become so much better. But another suggestion. So there is three three things to look at. One is Camellio, and I encourage you to buy that that little quote novel because I think that stuff really happened, and it's staggering. The second thing, you know, here I am. I, I, you know, I shouldn't be advertising other people's. Yeah, books, yeah, you're pushing uh, in,
2: other people's books and not yeah, your
7: own. This is supposed to be about my book, fellows. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but that's part of uh, the thing. I mean, I love to alert people to good good stuff. The yeah. the other thing is the satellite imagery that's now available to the public, essentially. And the third thing is, do you know about Hasdalen in, in Sweden? Well, right. they've done what, what you're talking about doing. They have three cameras. They are streaming on the Internet, which is not that hard to do. But uh, there are a number of articles, from, especially from the Italians. There's there an Italian university that has set up a, a lab up there in the Valley Valley in, uh, in Sweden, and they are trying to catch spectra because it's one thing to see a light, Yes. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's another the, thing the to see spectrum.
2: Yeah, but you can't and, do that with digital. You have to have an analog. Uh, you have to have an analog of the light.
7: Yes, but if you get a spectrum, you can digitize the spectrum, right?
2: So, sure. Sure. But but the initial so, data has to be from an analog, like a telescope or a spotting scope or some sort of analog uh, 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 light gathering device. Uh, divide you know separated it into the light spectra and then and then of course digitize that and then you can you know're you're, you're off to the races
7: well you're pretty close to I mean they are monitoring that valley but the valley is you know a few kilometers wide so they they just i think they just put a grating in front of the lens yeah that's and
1: all you need to do yeah let's do our break and we got more to come with jacques Vallée and Jean and Chris you're in the overcast Neighbors, I want to tell you about my favorite graphics app. It's the award-winning Graphic Converter. You know, Graphic Converter is the universal genius for photo editing on your Mac. Join over one and a half million loyal users for this Swiss Army Knife photo editing app. It gives you all you expect from a top-flight image editing app with tons of features. And most important, it's easy to use. It's also far less expensive than that other app that you can only get by subscription. You know, the one I'm talking about. What's more, you can get 20% off with your order right now. So write this down to learn about Graphic Converter. Go to wwwlemkeysoftde slash gene. Let me spell that www.lemkesoft.de slash gene.
18: North Korea openly threatens the U.S. and launches a new missile every other week. Their warhead of choice? Electromagnetic pulse. Such an event would cripple the U.S. power grid for years and leave millions in the dark. Are you ready? You can be with a Solark EMP-hardened solar generator. Solark works day in and day out to keep your essentials protected. You can have peace of mind knowing your power will be there when you most need it. Visit PortableSolarLLC.com to see EMP testing. That's PortableSolarLLC.com. Energy insurance for your family.
20: You want to save money in a place that gives you growth, control, and certainty without stock market risk or tax risk, and you want guarantees and you want it all tax-free. That's a tall order. But you can get all of that with properly designed participating whole life insurance. Most people think life insurance pays after you're dead. That's true. But you can have tax-free access to use your life insurance while you're alive. Get the free book to find out how. Call 702-660-7000.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: With Jean and Chris and Jacques Vallée, we're continuing a fascinating discussion about discoveries of the strange and the unknown. Chris? Has
2: Dallen uh, a real inspiration uh, for my project in the San Luis Valley? We were talking about uh, uh, blaze gratings, dividing light uh, into its spectra. Uh, the amount of scientific information that you can glean from dividing the light and analyzing the light spectra is uh, <laughs> way more than the uh, the ooze and ahs of uh, some sort of you know optical event at night. What uh, sort of gear are they using up there? Do you know?
7: I don't remember. Uh, it would be... There are a number of um, scientific publications about Hezdalene, and people are still divided uh, as to whether it's UFOs or a natural process. Uh, well, going on.
2: I, I, I if, personally think it's natural myself. It, well, it just...
7: that's what they publish. But if you take those guys aside over you know, a couple of beers... They'll tell you that they've seen things that were not. They don't think are natural. Uh, really. But most of the thing, you know, it's an area of mines. There is outgassing from, from some of the terrain, from some of the mines. Yeah. Um, yeah. They they mine a very unusual um, element called scandium, and scandium is used in in high tech again, uh, and there are only a few mines around the world, so. It's a pretty special area, and uh, scandium can be luminous in contact with oxygen, that kind of thing so so yes, it could be natural, uh, most of it could be natural, but they also see things they can 't explain
2: right some of the some of the lights do tend to uh, give the impression of of some some form of intelligence uh, or directed uh, movement that sort of thing in the San Luis Valley, for instance, we have uh, Billions of dollars of methane uh, underground. So that combined with the largest rift valley uh, outside of the Great Rift Valley in Africa, the Rift Valley that goes through that area up to the Songres, goes from the Gulf of Mexico all the way to Leadville, you know, which is halfway up in the middle of Colorado. combines some methane with some a lot of quartz and you know piezoelectric uh, possible static discharges that sort of thing uh, is. Gives you a sense that you really have to wade through a lot of potential natural explanations before you get to something high strange. That does not explain away what appear to be hard, you know, discoidal, uh, you know, metal-looking uh, nuts and bolts type craft. You can't, you know, say that that's as the result of a earthquake fault or methane. Uh, good daylight sightings, obviously. Contain a lot more information if you're monitoring an area than anything at night, uh, with the exception of maybe a blaze grading uh, to, you know, separate light into its uh, spectral elements. Well, let's get back to your book now, or your books, I should say, the uh, the series of books. One of the things that I've been saying for years is people should be writing everything down. If you're an investigator or a researcher, you should have a diary, a journal. As Jacques knows, I I had an extensive uh, journal for my San Luis Valley work. How can we get people to properly not only investigate, research um, an area that's maybe uh, in their backyard and document it properly, but how do we get them to a place where they can properly analyze and objectively look at what they're, gathering and in, in, in what these experiences are trying to tell them or, or tell all of us. I mean, what what can we do? I mean, there's so m- many people out there that really want to get involved and be part of the solution, but I don't really think that there's really much of an avenue for them to really be brought up to speed in, in a way that can really educate them, you know, how to unfold their process uh, correctly. Uh, do you have any advice?
7: Well, the encouraging fact is that people keep uh, blogs these days on the internet and they write about you know what that cat did today and it's a good medium to keep notes and to keep diaries you don't have to write every day and unless your life is really interesting there won't be something to write about every day but um you know whenever you gain some insight or you feel that you've learned something I have a friend who was diagnosed um, with a pretty nasty form of uh, cancer of the throat, and he thought that what he was going through could be useful to other patients. His relationship with doctors, you know, the effects of medication and so on, and he started a blog that was fascinating. Now, he's also a good writer. He didn't write every day, but certainly wrote every week or a couple of times a week. Um, And eventually he was, he survived, he was cured. But um, that, you know, I'm sure it helped a lot of people. And, uh, you know, you can do that, you can do the same thing in this field. It's going to be, when I look back at my notes for a year, for example, it's going to be pretty boring because it's going to be fairly repetitive. And you forget that you've already written something, and you rewrite it. And hopefully, you rewrite it the same way, um, but not always. To me, it's a good discipline because it gives me an insight into what I'm learning and what I'm forgetting. I have friends uh, from that era who had amazing memories, and I always envied the way they now they could tell you what they had for breakfast, uh, you know, three years before. And I I certainly can't do that. I don't have a good memory, which maybe is why I'm writing a lot of things down. But I find now that their memory isn't as good as it used to be maybe 30 years ago. And they misremember things that we said or things that they did that I remember because I have the record. And I think that's important because people rewrite their life. And that's fortunately. I mean, our brain does that. Our brain forgets the painful things to save us, because otherwise we would be overwhelmed with, you know, all the bad things that people have done to us or said to us, and things like that. And it remembers the good things, which is also a nice, nice feature of the brain. But in research, you want to record everything because you may need to go back to an experiment you did. Uh, two weeks ago and and see if uh, maybe you forgot something or maybe you can learn something from it. So I, I was doing it in that spirit. The first thing about writing is also to entertain your reader. And there is no excuse for boring people to death. If you publish everything you write, you're going to be boring people to death. And there is such a thing as somebody said that there is no such thing as good writing. It's really good editing. You know, writing is one thing but you have to spend a lot more time editing. And with a diary, of course, you cannot edit because you you cannot change the words. What you can do is you can cut the repetitions, you can make it more clear, and that's how you, you go from, you know, a thousand pages of junk that nobody will read to 400 or 500 pages that people will enjoy.
1: Let's do our break here for two more segments with Jacques Vallee and Jean and Chris. You're in the Paracast.
9: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
20: You want to save money in a place that gives you growth, control, and certainty without stock market risk or tax risk, and you want guarantees and you want it all tax-free. That's a tall order. But you can get all of that with properly designed participating whole life insurance. Most people think life insurance pays after you're dead. That's true. But you can have tax-free access to use your life insurance while you're alive. Get the free book to find out how. Call 702-660-7000. Would it be okay if you had two paychecks instead of one? I'm Pharmacist Keith. Dr. Wallach, the dead doctors don't like I and myself, want to show you how to get an extra paycheck every month, creating an extra income that will last for years to come by joining Dr. Wallach's crusade, spreading his message of better health. To learn more, visit radio.recordedvideo.com. That's radio.recordedvideo.com. radio.recordedvideo.com. Or call 866-257-3105
16: for a recorded message.
5: Cal Bend Soap Company can save you thousands of dollars and give you good old-fashioned real soaps that are triple concentrated. Soaps made from vegetable and coconut oils. See their full selection of soaps at 5starsoap.com. That's F-I-V-E starsoapcom Or call 1-800-340-7091 for a catalog.
4: It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And when your identity is hacked, it's a nightmare. Hi everyone, Paul with Liberty ID. Did you know that children are 52 times more likely to suffer from identity theft than adults? Is your family prepared? Identity monitoring will not fix the fallout. Liberty ID does. Here's an exciting offer for listeners to this station. Go to LibertyID.com and cover your entire family, your spouse, your children, and your parents for only $129 a year. That's right, $129 a year. Use promo code FREETRIAL and we'll give you the first 60 days free. That's LibertyID.com promo code FREETRIAL. Prepare your family for less than half what other companies charge. charge for only monitoring. LibertyID.com promo code FREE TRIAL. LibertyID.com The name in identity theft restoration
17: you may be at the top of their hit list. So don't take your tax debt lightly because it will not go away on its own. The IRS can seize your bank accounts, your home, and even shut down your business. Call our tax experts today at 1-800-765-9681 and let us deal with the IRS while you focus on your business. That's 1-800-765-9681. Again, that's eight hundred seven six five nine six eight one. 800 765 9681
5: Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear
7: anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri?
1: Yes, I don't like writing 1,000-page books myself. I think I actually <laughs> did a couple of computer books that were a 1,000 or 1,200 pages. Don't even ask.
7: The books you know, are all different, but... If it's talking about your life, uh, uh, nobody wants to. Go yeah, that's. 100 pages of
2: it. Yeah, well, I, I must say I you know my book "Stocking the Herd," um, which I really I was in a quandary of how much I sh- should include, because it, it really will be the only stand standalone book that looks at a case history um, of the cattle mutilation mystery. And, um, and I stuck to my guns, and I, I, I included a lot of cases in there, you know, in a timeline format to show the reader, you know, the extensiveness and how, how just overwhelming uh, the amount of cases were. And instead of, you know, delineating out every single case, I, you know, I tried to highlight the important cases that, that, that debunk the debunkers, uh, basically – and uh, and then just mention the other cases in, in passing. But you know, I've I've taken some flack. People said, Well, you should have condensed all those cases and in, into you know, into a more manageable format and I, I disagree. I think it was important to to put on the record an unfolding of thousands and thousands of cases of, of cattle deaths that, that were not explained. And yes. You know, so it's, it's, it's one. It's one thing to have a diary and 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 have too much uh, information. It's another thing to have, uh, you know, a standalone encyclopedia of of a particular phenomenon.
7: So it's a, a, uh, archival preservation, and that should be you know uh, integral. So you you want everything. The the other thing about a diary though is that the events that you're talking about are in the context of. What happens to somebody's life? And you know, so much of science is, these days is completely dry, uh, which is why there is no, you know, there are histories of the internet, but they are written by people who were not there, uh, by historians and by and by journalists who have interviewed the people who were there, but the people who were there, with a few exceptions like me, didn't write anything at the time. So you lose the, the human dimension. I mean, these people had, you know, wives and girlfriends, and and the cars and kids and histories of uh, with their their boss and and with uh, their company and and all that should be in there because so much is uh, otherwise is incomprehensible. Um, there there was a in um, ninety seven. Uh, two groups of, um, well, the Bank of America and one major group of uh, financial um, underwriters put up money to do a celebration of 50 years of the transistor. You know, uh, transistor was invented in 1947, coincidentally. Bell Labs? In 1997, it was 50 years. So... um, they invited all the pioneers who were still alive. And they invited a 1,000 people. And my wife and I were lucky enough to be among the people invited. It was a fairly formal dinner at a big place in San Jose, center of Silicon Valley. And these people came up one after the other, and they had five or ten minutes to talk about what they had done. And all of them, one after the other, were saying things like, well, you know, I was working at Fairchild and well, I was working at Bell Labs. And I had always wanted to try something. And my boss said, if you work one more time, you know, on this, I'm going to fire you. So we we would come back on weekends and work uh, work on the thing when he wasn't there. And that's how we discovered, you know, this kind of memory. That's how we discovered this kind of, of fiber. That's what, how we discovered this kind of... Uh, integrated circuit. That's why. I mean, all the great discoveries were made by people who were told that, you know, if you work on this one more hour, I'll fire, I'll fire you. The the transistor is fascinating because there is a movie that is on the internet about, you know, those guys, the the, the three Nobel prizes.
2: Well, shockley. Uh, it's a very good documentary, and I I, yeah. I recommend it highly. It's incredible. Well, uh, if
7: you look at the documentary, you'll see that their little experiment is on the table that has rollers. And most people miss that. Uh, The the reason that their table, experimental table has rollers, is that when they are done with it, they roll it into a closet and they close the closet so that their boss won't know (laughs) that they're working on the transistor. (laughs) Because Bell Labs was all about uh, electronic tubes. They were selling triodes, you know, and and, uh, they thought the transistor was a dumb idea. In fact, the transistor had been patented in Germany in 1934. So it doesn't come from Roswell. I mean, that's... Well, I was going to say,
2: uh, I'm sorry, uh, you know, the ghost of Philip Corso. Sorry there, pal. Uh, There (laughs) is an evidence train. There's also an evidence train for fiber optics. There's an evidence train for Velcro. Uh, You could go down the list. Night vision technology, for instance. Yes.
7: Well, fiber optic was known a long, long time ago. It wasn't known... As a form of high-speed digital communication, but in 1947 there, there was no digital communication anyway so um, but the um, uh, people knew how to drive light around with fibers, with glass fibers. So constantly Corso, find myself. Corso, arguing. I mean to, to his defense, you know, Colonel Corso never pretended to be a scientist. I mean, he had a job to do with some strange materials. And, uh, you know, he gave it to a few companies, and there
2: it went. You know, we really, uh, we're running out of time, and I'd really like to ask uh, some questions from a very up-to-speed um, listening audience that we have. We have a bunch of people, posters that are way smarter than I am, and um, I'd like to, to fire a couple of questions at you. Some of them are, 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 are pretty general, but... You know, let, let me start out. Uh, a question from William Strathman. You know, Dr. Vallée, from 1977 until today, the last 40 years, have you learned anything new about the UFO phenomenon? I mean, you can make that as short or as long as you like.
7: <laughs> <laughs> and, and I have uh, six minutes, right? So, um, y- yes. Uh, yes. Uh, in 77, the the Gestalt, you know, the model that everybody was working with, was uh, an ET model, an extraterrestrial model. And it's still, it's still there. It's still good. I mean, we, there is no, we cannot put any limit on what can happen in, in this big universe and maybe a few other universes like it. Uh, and so it's always there. The problem is, one, one thing we've learned is that the ET explanation just doesn't explain the observations which in science is a problem. So we have to look to, to cast a, a wider net. Uh, also, we now know that the phenomenon has other uh, aspects. Uh, I don't want to say other dimensions, but certainly other aspects. It has a very prominent, you know, obvious psychic aspect that people were rejecting in uh, 1977 saying, well, you're talking about ghost stories. Uh, well, we're not talking about ghost stories. We're yeah, it's
2: still being us. rejected today.
7: Well, yeah, but that's fine. But, you know, people are still rejecting the internet in some places, so that's fine. Uh, the, that, that's not going to stop the research, but now we have to integrate it with what we have learned about, um, about consciousness about the role of consciousness in physics not just in the paranormal but in you know in quantum mechanics and uh the uh, and we have to take that into account in in the experiments that we do and when we talk to witnesses i mean let's take an extra hour and say uh tell the witness uh, you know if you go back into what was happening to you around that time what else is there that
1: you haven't told me. Let's get the answer to that in our final few minutes with Jacques Vallee and Jean and Chris. We'll find out what they haven't told him. You're in the Paracast.
9: Thank you for listening to GCN.
1: TechNightOwl.com slash host.
4: Did you know children are 52 times more likely to suffer from identity theft than adults? Credit alerts will not fix the fallout. Liberty ID does. And here's an exciting offer just for you. Go to LibertyID.com and cover your entire family, your spouse, your children, and your parents for only $129 a year. Use promo code Free Trial, and we'll give you the first 60 days free. That's LibertyID.com promo code Free Trial. LibertyID.com. LibertyID.com.
23: You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com. And if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code George for a substantial discount.
2: Hi, this is James Fox from Chasing UFOs. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: Sir, let's pick up on that question for the final few minutes here, Jacques. What haven't they told you? Interesting start.
7: Well, I'll give you an example. You know, Colonel Coyne uh, with a helicopter in uh, Ohio. The case that was mentioned at the United Nations in '78. Okay, everybody has been arguing about this. What kind of UFO it was that lifted the helicopter with, uh, you know, the army guys coming back from, if you remember, from a medical test. So I I took a coin aside, you know, outside the session, and I asked him, you know, what went through your mind when that was happening, and you were you were piloting that helicopter, and I said, you know, what did you what did you do, and he said, uh, Dr. Valet. I uh, closed my eyes and prepared to die. Okay, you know, that's pretty clear from a, an army guy piloting, a, you know, a big helicopter that was doing things that it couldn't do because it was being lifted at, at very, very high speed by a light. And I said, well, what else happened in your life afterwards? And he said, well, my sleep patterns changed for a number of weeks. And then I had the feeling I could communicate with lower level life, that I could I, I had developed an interest in insects, and that and I thought that there was a level of consciousness where I could communicate with or at least understand insect life at a consciousness level. Well, that's not in the Army report. It's not in the report to the United Nations. It's not in all those things. You have to take the time to, you know, have a cup of coffee with the guy and make it clear that you're there as a human being talking to somebody who has had an experience. And, of course, I've had my own experience with the phenomenon. You have to gain the trust of people and talk to them on that level. And then you're going to learn all kinds of things. And to finish, you know, the model we have of phenomenon today is completely different from the model we had in, in 77.
1: You see, yeah. this is an argument I've raised with people like MUFON.
2: Me too. Uh, there should be a whole list of follow-up questions, and investigators should be uh, keeping in touch with people, finding out how their you know, lives have changed, how their views have changed, how their feelings about religion, about spirituality, about consciousness. There's none of this in the, uh, the MUFON model, none of it.
7: Well, M- MUFON is not a monolith. I mean, there are people within MUFON who are certainly interested in that, Uh, and, uh, you know, you can find them.
1: Well, I know that. I've talked to people, as has Chris on the Powercast, and these are people who are investigators for MUFON, and they have an open, enlightened viewpoint of the subject. They've read your works and other works to expand their horizons, and certainly they'd be happy to deal with that kind of structure. But that structure doesn't exist on the organizational level, And when I asked once Jan Harzan, why aren't you considering the witness too, not just the event as being some kind of independent thing. Oh, they saw a UFO, let's get the information, what did it look like, you know, with a coin held at arm's length, the usual stuff. What about the witness, the experiences, what happened before, what happened after, their family background, all the thousands of questions that field investigators like Chris would come up with and he said well if they give us that information if they give us that information the experiencer we'll
2: it. is more important than the experience right you know i i will always contend that 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 is really the total blind spot i think uh, for investigative ufology is they don't realize it's not so much what happened it's the effect of that experience individually on on the experiencers but also, how that then dovetails uh, into the culture and and
7: well,
2: has I, I tremendous don't want to impact.
7: I Newfound. I admire newfound. they're the only organization that today will go out there and uh, preserve a record. But you have to remember the mission they set for themselves was to uh, impress the the scientists and convince them to 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 join in in that research and to look at UFOs. And they think rightly or wrongly that, to to impress the scientists, they have to focus on the physical parameters. And, you know, if it's their mission, I'm not going to second-guess that. I wish there was another organization somewhere that was more looking at... That's one of the reasons that um, Alan Hynek left Chicago, you know, that he wanted to pioneer in a different kind of organization than QFOS or MUFON or a number of others and, and look more at uh, the consciousness aspects, which was fascinating to him. That was oh. a topic of conversation when we were talking. I mean, that's what we were talking about.
1: Dr. Hynek moved, I believe, to Scottsdale, Arizona, right? Yes. That was probably five or ten years before I moved out here. Yeah, well, well,
7: that's and, when he uh, got involved with in APRO. And... You know, the story is in uh, volume Volume 3, he um, by then we didn't realize it, but he was already ill, and uh, you know there was that that project just couldn't uh, couldn't really get get off the ground, and that's a pity.
2: Yeah. Well, it's Dr. Vala. There are so many things that I wanted to cover in this uh, brief two hours. I'm telling you, if you can somehow uh, carve out some time. To come back and talk with us, uh, we, we'd really love to uh, continue the conversation and really look uh, I- in more detail at some of the wonderful you know, unfolding scenarios uh,
1: that you have. have in,
2: new things in the to journals. talk about,
7: and, and uh, I'd love to learn more about what uh, Chris is doing with his research.
1: What we could do here is maybe, you know, in a month or two, if you have the time, Jacques, We'd be happy to have you back. Continue this discussion. There are questions from listeners that we haven't a hope or a prayer of getting to. Some very good questions, and I, I feel remiss. But you see, they'll attack Chris. You see, I'll say it's Chris's fault because he's the person who <laughs> reads the questions. So I'll say, you know, you know, it's not Shock's fault because he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Yeah, no, no. I, I accept all responsibility. Go ahead. All right. And I'll hear about it later, believe me. Oh boy! But really, you know. So we'll talk. We'll stay in touch, and then yeah, that, as that's you, the
7: deal, uh, they, they, and there will be new cases. I'm working on uh, one case that uh, I'll be able to, to talk to at more length. You know, in oh, two or three months. Right. So let's let's oh. do that.
1: Woo. Okay. We'll, this will be a kind of to be continued kind of show, which is, I guess, the uh, most fascinating kind. And you can bet on after the Powercast this week, Chris and I. We'll have some really interesting things to say. We may even pull a couple of panel members on there to further discussion, like a Greg Bishop or someone. You know, I have some ideas in mind. Jacques, if our listeners wanted to follow up on this, do you have an active website or a way they can check out your current stuff?
7: Yeah, it's just my name. Uh, You know, the the challenge is to spell my my French, you know, French name, (laughs) J-A-C-Q-U-E-S. And yes. then V-A-L-L-E-E In one word uh,
2: yeah. With no, no app say We can get away with just E-E
7: you know, the, the accent uh, died off a long time ago
2: <laughs> Okay, excellent Well, I, I'm telling you Like I said, I'm not a fanboy But boy, I am president of your fan club Whether you like it or not
7: As websites go My my website is pretty lame but it does have a PO box address if people want to, want to write to me. Uh,
1: you know. Sure thing. We can be found on Twitter if you go look for the Powercast on Twitter. We also have two Powercast fan clubs on Facebook. Shock! Don't ask me how that happened. No one's a group. One's a community. And it makes no difference to me. It's whichever one you want. We have after the Powercast the exclusive feature from the Powercast Plus. You also get the commercial-free version of this show, and you get lots of other good stuff, all tremendous things. And the After the Powercast podcast, by the way, has had some amazing guests and discussions and debates. Like last week, we had Randall Murphy on the show, and he was in the mood to debate on Travis Walton with our guests. So that was very interesting. So it's certainly it's something you should check into. It's not just me and Chris kibbitzing about pop culture, which is very important to our society. To learn more, go to plus.thepowercast.com. That's P L U S dot the powercast.com. The prices start just $1.49 a week. We have monthly, annual, five year, and lifetime. If you go for the long term subscriptions, by the way, have free books and other goodies, we give you stuff to do that. Plus.thepowercast.com. Jacques Fillet, thanks for joining us on the powercast.
7: Thank you very much. Thank you, Grace um, and Gene. Pleasure talking to you.
0: The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated.